So I'm going to be reading from Jonah 2. And when I finish, I'm going to be saying that this is the word of the Lord. And if you believe that, just respond with thanks be to God. Jonah chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fighting away, fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we just thank you again for this morning, for the chance that you've given us to be here, to worship you, to honor you, to bring you glory. Lord, we know that if we try to run away from you, Lord, that you will bring us back. Those of us that love you, that believe in you, you will uh, keep us close. Lord, I just ask for the blessing of your word this morning, that it would be heard, that uh, hearts would be changed, and that lives would be changed, Lord. And I just ask this all in your son's great and holy name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to ask Rob and Janine West to come up. Um, Rob and Janine, I want to share a little bit about them. Rob and Janine, this is their, this is Rob's last Sunday on staff with us, and I want to share a little bit about what's going on with them. Uh, Rob and Janine are going, they're moving. They felt the Lord's impression upon them, and they are moving to uh, South Florida uh, to be a part of helping lead at a church called Gospel City Church that we help plant with David McCammon and Jen McCammon. So they're going to go and serve with David and Chad, and the band is getting back together again. <laughs> Rob has, in some form, been a part of our staff team for about 14 years. He the first several years of that, he was a part-time guy. And then about nine years ago, he came on staff with us full-time. And uh, it, it's been in production. It's been in project management. It's been, he's done a little bit of everything. Rob's been instrumental in helping to launch uh, LifePoint Murfreesboro. Uh, getting it all arranged and organized and like when we were mobile. And then when we moved to Riverdale, he was instrumental in helping that to happen. In the process of all of that, uh, we sent him to Brussels to help get some changes made there when they moved into a new building, helping to design it. He's been to Bangkok to help them get set up in their facilities. When we moved into this facility and did all the renovations, Rob was instrumental in that. And Rob's had a huge, huge part 
of who we are today. Janine has been instrumental throughout her years at LifePoint. Somewhere, whether it's been in kids ministry, it's been in preschool, she's actually given leadership here as our kids director. Vacation Bible School. This woman loves children and loves educating children uh, in the gospel. And so, uh, man, it is my privilege, my privilege to, with this family to be able for us to bless them. Uh, we have a, a very small gift, a token of, the, for, of all that you've done for, you, for this church and for LifePoint. Uh, in a few moments, I'm going to pray over them, and Zion's going to come up here, and we're going to lay hands on this family, and uh, we're going to pray blessing on them. Uh, and after the service, after both services, they're going to be out in the foyer. I want you to go by and talk to them. Go by and speak to them. In fact, they may be here for another week or so in transition. We've been praying for Janine to have a job. The Lord has answered that prayer. Uh, yes, praise the Lord. We've been praying that the Lord, and we're continuing to pray, and I know they would covet your prayers in this, that the Lord will provide just the right spot for them to land to live because she starts her job the first week of February, and they're going. This is a family of faith, and so we trust that, all right? And so we're going to join together. So if you would, won't you stand with me right now, and we're going to pray over this family and uh, commission them out. Father, we thank you so much for Rob. Lord, I thank you for how you have blessed him. I thank you for how you have gifted him. I thank you, Father, for how you have uh, given him a mind, Father, that is... Uh, it's bent towards sound, engineering, yet you've given him a heart for ministry. And how, Father, you have uh, coupled him in your wisdom with his wife who loves you greatly, who wants to see children come to know you as Lord and Savior. And so, Father, I'm praying right now that you, as you have been guiding, you'll continue to provide for them, Lord. Lord, you have a spot, and I pray for uh, Gospel City Church. I pray for David's leadership. I pray for Chad's leadership. And now, Father, I'm praying also for Rob as you unite them together and that we see the gospel take root in new ways in South Florida, Father. Lord, we love you. We magnify you. You're the only one who gets glory for everything that the West are about. But, Lord, we thank you for them. We thank you for their friendship and their ministry. And it's in the name of Jesus that this body says thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Rob, thank you. I love you, bud. On your way down, turn around and say hello to somebody and introduce yourself real quick. Thank you, brother. All righty, all righty, all righty. All right, folks, let's stop all that fellowship. It is uh, good to see y'all today. If you got your Bibles, open up to the book of Jonah. If you're online with us worshiping today, thank you for being with us. And uh, we still have room for you here. We would love to have you join with us and be a part here live with us in the room. I'm thankful for all that the Lord lets us have when we, uh, being online, but there's nothing like uh, being in the room. Uh, watching a football game on TV is one thing. Being in the stands is a whole other thing. 
And I would tell you that observing and you being online, thank you for being here, but there's nothing like being with the body. And so thank you for what you're doing. If you got your Bibles, we're in Jonah chapter two. We're continuing on with our series that we began last week called Relentless. And uh, one of the things that we saw was with the prophet Jonah, even though he was in a relentless rebellion, that God was in a relentless pursuit of him. God said, go. And what did Jonah say? No. No. That's exactly right. He went the opposite direction. But the grace of the Lord is this, is that for his children, he never ceases to come after us because he loves us too much. As his children, as God's children, uh, he, God, incarnate Jesus laid his life down on a cross for us. He went to the cross. He played, he paid a great price. And so he's going to come after his children. So how did he do this with Jonah? Well, quickly, just real quickly, I just want to remind you that when Jonah went and got the word from the Lord, he said, no, he went, booked a cruise, took off to the opposite side of the world, literally the opposite side of the Mediterranean, Joppa, and he went to Tarshish somewhere. He said, I'm, I'm out of here. But God in his mercy, the scripture says, hurled the, the scripture says in verse one, in chapter one, he hurled a great, great storm, a wind to churn up the sea. You see, it would look like at that moment that God is trying to get Jonah, like get him back. Do you remember in the rest of that story what ends up happening? They take him and the sailors through a course of events, they throw him overboard. God's won. He's over. It's done. But I need you to hear me. God wasn't getting revenge. God was getting his attention. Okay? God was coming after his child. Well, so with a word, with a word, the scripture says, God summoned a fish. And unlike the prophet of God who heard the word of God, you know what the fish did? He obeyed. He obeyed. Isn't it amazing that all of creation bows to the Lord? When, when, the, when he says, blow wind, the wind blows. When he says, go waves, the waves go. He says, if my people won't cry out, who will? The rocks will. Yet the man of God, the prophet of God, entrusted with the word of God said, no. That, I'm, we could stop right there. There's a word for us in here today. You see, Jonah, I want you to know, was going to Nineveh one way or another. <laughs> he was either going to go by the boat or he was going by the fish. And we see which one he chose to go by. Today, there's so many of us in here, and we kind of hit this last week, that we struggle. Maybe you've met people who struggle with the fact and going, you really believe that a big fish could handle a man? Like Literally, a man was in a fish for three days. Yes, I do. I believe that because I believe that that same God who created that fish, the same God who created that man is the same God who spoke all of creation into being. He's the same God, the scripture says, that split the Red Sea so more than a million people could walk across on dry land. He's the same God who sustained all those people, all those people in a wilderness for 40 years with this stuff called manna. And all they had to do was go out and pick it up in the morning. Quail came in, they went out and picked it up in the evening. 
He's the same God who did that. He's the same God who raised his son, resurrected him after three days in the ground. So yes, I believe that. We believe, I believe that Jonah was a literal man on a literal boat in a literal storm who was literally thrown over and eaten by a literal fish. And for three days he, were, he was there. That's where we find ourselves today. That's where we find ourselves today. And this morning, one of the things that we're going to see is this, is that the real miracle in the story isn't that he survived three days in a belly of a great fish. The real miracle of the story is what happened in the prophet's heart. That's the miracle. And today, the Lord Jesus, I I want you to hear, the Lord Jesus has brought you here today, whether you are a believer or you're an unbeliever, and he wants to do a work in your heart today. That's the real miracle today, is what it is that he wants to do in you. If you're taking notes, I hope that you are. If you're new here today uh, and you don't have something to take notes on, we put those little blue cards right there. <laughs> you could take it out. You could turn it over or something on the back because I want you to take a few things because I want you to go away today and be able to look later on as we continue to study. This morning, we're going to see Jonah go from rebellion to repentance, from rebellion to repentance. Last week, we talked about a, re- a relentless pursuit. This week, we're talking about a relentless repentance. In 1517, in fact, it was October 31st, 1517, in a German town called Wittenberg, there was a Catholic priest. His name was uh, Martin Luther. Martin Luther uh, had a conflict in his soul that began to happen a few years earlier when he began to realize that everything he did did not bring him peace. And he began to search the scriptures. And as he began to search the scriptures, he began to realize and he began to see that the scriptures taught, like the scriptures, not what the church said, but what the scriptures said is that there's no way, no way that man in his own righteousness could ever be saved. It was only through faith only through faith, only by grace alone, and only by Jesus Christ alone, that man could be saved. And so what he did on October the 31st, 1517, is he went to the center of town to where the castle church was, and he had 95 objections. They were called theses, but they were 95 statements that he had against what the teaching and the practice was of the Catholic, the Roman Catholic Church was of that day. He wasn't meaning to like start what we now know as the, the Protestant Reformation. What he was trying to do was to reform the church. The very first statement that he wrote was this, thesis number one. The very first statement was this. He says, the whole life of the believer. The whole life of the believer is this. It is repentance. It's repentance. You see, he understood this. What he understood was, is that it only takes, it only takes a prayer of repentance in faith in Jesus Christ for our lives to instantaneously, our hearts to instantaneously be changed forever to be saved because of the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. What we've sung about all morning, the cross, the name of Jesus. But he knew that all of life, though, couldn't be reduced to what we might call just the sinner's prayer. 
It, it, it can't just be reduced to that. There, there has to be more. You see, the gospel, the gospel itself bears out that our lives will produce fruit. We don't produce fruit for salvation, but because we are saved, our lives will produce fruit. And as a result of that, what ends up happening as we walk all of life, every day, all the time, we're constantly repenting. When we recognize, because the Holy Spirit resides in our lives, we begin to recognize that we are constantly killing sin, constantly and continually should be killing sin in our life because the Holy Spirit who resides in you begins to stir in your life. He begins to move in your life when you're walking counter to the direction that the Lord has called you, that the word of the Lord points us towards. And so as a result of that, all of life is about repentance. As a believer, all of life is about repentance. Now, let me ask you a question. This, this, is, this is a rhetorical question, <laughs> but I want to ask you a question. I want you to have to think through this. When's the last time you sat down and you repented of sin in your life? Not just the general word of sin, but I mean, you've sat down and you said, Father, I need you to speak to me. Is there an area in my life that is walking counter to your word and you're calling me now to repent and turn from that? You know what repentance is? You, I, I, you, I, I'm a word picture guy. It's I'm walking in this direction away from the Lord. To repent means to turn and I walk in his direction. I walk in history. For some of you in here, that today may be the very first time that you ever turn to him. For some of us in here as believers, it should be a recognition that we should be continually turning back to him. Not because we've lost our salvation, but because our fellowship has been broken because, of, because it, it, we haven't repented and continued to confess to him. And I'm thankful that today, I need you to hear me. You don't have to come to me to receive absolution. You go to the Father. And you pray to him, and he hears your prayer. Now, I do think it's good that you share with a brother or a sister. Brothers share with brothers, sisters share with sisters. Hey, hold me accountable to this. The Lord's forgiven me, but I want you to walk with me. So what does it mean today? Three things I want you to see. Three characteristics of what relentless repentance looks like. Here they are. The first one is this, is that repentance is losing your life. Repentance is losing your life. Number two, we're going to see repentance is laying down idols. And number three, repentance is looking to Jesus. So let's talk about the first characteristics. Repentance is losing your life. The Bible says in, in, in the chapter one, in chapter one at the end of verse 17, it says that Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord, for, uh, the, the Lord his God, from the belly of the fish. How many days, this is not rhetorical, how many days and nights was Jonah in the belly of the, of the fish? Three. Okay, if you're like me, I'm thinking day one, I'm calling out to the Lord. I'm singing all the worship songs I can get. Lord, what, I mean, what's up? Three days, it says. Three days and three nights, he is in the belly of the great fish. In fact, uh, a unique thing about this is that chapter 2 is the very first recorded words of the prophet of God speaking to God. 
You see, isn't it amazing that the prophet of the Lord got the word of the Lord, the commission to go, but his very first words back is a prayer of repentance. He begins to cry out to him. It's interesting to me that someone who walks with the Lord so closely, how is it that one day they no longer walk with him? Is there a mind, a a, a face that comes to your mind? Maybe you, maybe you're going, oh, that's, that's me. Maybe the Holy Spirit is moving in your life right now and going, because you're remembering where you once were walking with the Lord, but today you're no longer walking there. You see the hardness of his heart. You can almost feel it, can't you? Here it is. He's run. He's now recognized what's going on. They've tossed him over. Three days he's in the, bo- uh, he's in the belly of the well. Great fish, excuse me. He's in the belly of this fish. His heart is hardened from the rebellion that he's been in. He, you know, as a prophet of God, as a man of God, he knows that there's nowhere that he can go that he doesn't, that he's not found or seen or known by God. Psalm 139, I want you to go back. We're going to see Psalm 139. I'm going to ask you to read that today, later today. But Psalm 139, the psalmist says, where can I go? To the highest mountain, to the depths of the sea? You are there. But I'm thankful that while he was in the belly of that great fish, it says that he then turned and he began to pray. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 says this. Jonah's writing. He says, I called out to the Lord. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. As Jonah sank to the bottom of the ocean, I don't know if it was that he went glug, 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 and the fish caught him down here. Sounds like that. Or if he was tossed over and the fish just happened to be there and he lands in and the fish dives deep to the belly, to the bottom. I don't know. Scripture doesn't answer that. But what it does help us to see here is that it illustrates the very first point here is that the only way true repentance happens is when we begin to lose our own life. Now, some of you are going, ooh, that sounds morbid. No, I'm talking about losing control of your life. Most often when you and I are in the middle of sin, it's because you and I have said, what I want to do is more important than what he wants me to do. I know best, you don't, God. We think we know the best way and our ways. The heart of man is deceitful above all things. And yet, until we lose our life. See, I think Jonah in this moment, he began to realize the futility of fleeing the presence of God. And in it, I don't know if you've ever been there. I have been there where I thought my way was best and I end up somewhere that is far from where I knew, I knew the Lord wanted me to go. And yet I'm thinking, I've got this, I've got this, but it's not until I come undone, so to speak. You ever been there? We are undone and you realize, oh Lord, in my distress, you have now caused me to realize that I have run so far from you. In his despair, did you see what he said in verse two? He says, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. Sheol is the word for the place of the dead. He says, I'm dead. I'm undone. I mean, I, Lord, I don't know what to do here. 
Here's the point. Jonah saw that in trying to look to preserve his life, he was actually about to lose it for good. Have you ever been in a situation or been with a friend that you're counseling that you truly love and you can see all around their life that their ship is sinking fast? I mean, it's going down and they're just going, they're just keep paddling. No, everything's great. I got it. I got it. And then at some point, maybe they're not like bailing out with a bucket. They've got like a shot glass. <laughs> I hope y'all don't mind me using that. It's the smallest thing I can come up with. <laughs> they think they've got it worked out. No, 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 no. You see, he's, he recognizes this. Look with me at verse 3. Verse 3, he says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows, they passed over me. Verse 4, Then I said, I am driven. I'm banished. I'm banished from your sight. Look at verse 5. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Get this picture. The weeds were wrapped around my head. Verse 6, he says, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me. He talks about going to the root of the mountain. This is how far down he had come. This is how far he had gotten. And I will, listen, some of you are there today. Some of you are there today. You're at the lowest low. You're at the bottom. And my my experience is in my own life and in dealing with people, for some, for some people, not all, but for some people, you've got to get to rock bottom. And I know, I know, I know, because I have prayed with parents, I have seen parents who have just said, Lord, get them to the bottom so that they might see. Today, some of you are there, but I I want to remind you if, you, if this is your first week here or this is your third week here, as relentless as you are about running and in your re rebellion, if you know Jesus Christ, he's relentless in pursuit of you to call you home because you're one of his. Today, you may have never known him. You've never trusted him. You've heard about Jesus. People keep telling you about him, but I, I want you to know that he has relentlessly been pursuing you and he's brought you here today so that you might turn from what you think is right to follow him in his word. Oh, everything may have been great. Your life was running well until he called you and demanded obedience. He placed his hand in an area and you went, nope, you're not getting it. You're not getting it. And you turn and you begin to flee. You begin to run. But I said this last week, but the hound of heaven, the Holy Spirit, the God of the universe, he loves you so much that he chases after you. He is calling after you. Like a fugitive on the run, the marshal is coming and he doesn't give up. He does not give up. Maybe today you've gotten a glimpse of a life that is hopeless without him. I, 
It's not my words today. My, we prayed for this whole room today as we were meeting beforehand, asking the Lord, would you do a work today? You know what my prayer is? My prayer is, is that he would get you to the bottom and all of the things that you thought would withstand, all of the things that you thought would sustain, my prayer is, is that you would realize today that they've all failed you. And that the only thing that could ever work, the only person, the only God that you've been trying to run from, he lovingly says, if you'll just turn around, I'm right there. You're not too far away. That's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that we follow. Repentance, it begins by losing your life. It begins by saying, I'm not in control. There is nothing. In fact, all of my control has left me completely undone. I mean, I, I've made it a mess of my life. And as bad as Jonah thought Nineveh would be, I need you to hear me. You know where real life is found? In Nineveh. Wherever it is that God is leading you, he's called you to, that you're running, it's, you're running to death. You're running to death. But I need you to know, he's not going to lead you in a way that is not for your flourishing. God is always going to lead us for our good and for his glory. King David said it in Psalm 16, probably one of my most favorite Psalms. Psalm 16, 11, he says this, you make known to me the path of life. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is what? No, no. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Folks, I want you to know when you lose your life, when you take your hands off, that's where you find real life. Turn over to Matthew, Matthew chapter 16, Matthew in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and 25, Jesus' own words speak to us about this when he says, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, listen here, disciples in this room, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it. That's what Jonah almost did. He said, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Real repentance begins in losing our life. Number two, real repentance begins in laying down our idols. Look at verses 7 and 8 back over in Jonah chapter 2. Verses 7 and 8 back in Jonah chapter 2. When Jonah's writing and he says this, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. Isn't that awesome? When my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols... Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. I'd ask you to star verse 8, circle it, underline it, whatever you got to do. Those who forsake, those who, excuse me, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Not only did Jonah let go of his, the, have to let go of uh, his love of his comfortable life, he had to actually, but he actually had to let go of the 
idol that was in his life. You know what the idol of his life was, I believe? I think there were several. I think there was his reputation as a prophet of God. I think there was the idol of fear, going to the enemy to speak to the king. I think there was the idol of, of comfortability. Because you see, he had previously he had gone to just his king. He had to go like maybe another town over, two towns over, speak to the king and go back. No, he's traveling thousands of miles now to go to the enemy king. He had to let go. See, you cannot hold on to an idol and experience the full presence of the Lord. If you see that silly commercial about Pringles, you know, the, the chip Pringles, the, the, the can of Pringles about the guy who puts his hand into there and he gets the last chip and then he can't get his hand out. You ever seen that? He's like, he's not letting go of a chip. Got his hand stuck. Some of you may have experienced this with your own kids where you, your kids, they have some kind of favorite toy, a blanket or something that they never let go of. And you're trying to give them something and they're trying to hold it with this hand, but they can't because they're, they got a grip on this. You know, Bilbo Baggins experienced that, <laughs> didn't he? He had the one ring. You know what the odd thing is about idols is that you think you have them, but they really have you. I got this. And in the end, it leads you to death. And it could be the car that you want that's in your driveway or the one that you're wanting in your driveway. It could be your portfolio that you look at every afternoon to make sure. And you're riding this wave right here, whatever the market's doing, whatever's happening. You're crazy about it. it. may be as wonderful as it is. It may be your kids. Whatever they want to do, I'm leveraging everything. And oh, it, it leads me away from the one who really loves your kids. It could be your family. It could be any number of things. Because in this room today, in this room today, there's probably a hundred different idols. You may go, well, no, I've got the same one they got. <laughs> but you probably express it a little differently. Jonah's not the only one that dealt with this. John Calvin, the great reformer, said this. He says, man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. Just like Nissan rolling off Altimus down there in Smyrna, that's what our heart does. It rolls from this idol to this idol to this idol to this idol because we think this is going to bring fulfillment and it doesn't. It brings the start destruction and we run to this one and then we run to this one and then we run to this one. And folks, I, today some of us are in here and you're followers of Jesus. Just like Jonah, you've heard the word of the Lord, you've walked with him, and today you find yourself so far away and you're wondering, how has it happened? I would say, look at your hands. You go, there's nothing in my hands. Look at your checkbook. Look at your credit card statement. Look at, look at where you're spending your time and what you're doing. What? Uh, you know what? Uh, uh, idols, idols always demand more. They demand more. They demand more. The question today is, is what are you going to do about that now? 
Because you see, at some point, we have to have true repentance, turn our back, take the idols off of the place that's only reserved for Jesus. You know, a real idol is anything, anyone, any object, possession, whatever it is that demands first place in your life. It demands first, greatest, and last. And as a follower of Jesus, speaking to myself also, you need to hear this. Anything that takes up residence on the throne of my life reserved only for the one that I say I follow. Anything that gets right there, and it may be a good thing. You know what? So often, I don't even realize they're idols, right? You're just thinking it's a good thing. And it's not until you have run so far away. Those things like sitting in the word, meeting with people, loving people, going to his body and gathering, it's only until those things have been gone away that you begin to realize, oh no, what I thought was a good thing has become an idol in my life. It's become an idol and it has drug you away. And I need you to hear at some point, here's what relentless repentance looks like. It looks like knocking that down. Knocking my children down. I don't mean hurting them. I just mean they don't get that place anymore. I've said this before. I'm going to continue to say it. Your kids are not king and God of your life. You are of them. (laughs) You, You control them. You lead them where you want them to go. You have to lead them to Jesus. And if they're leading you away from Jesus by this and this and this and this, if your career is leading you away from Jesus with this and this and this and this, if your pursuit of anything is leading you away from Jesus to be Lord, Savior, and boss, it probably has become an idol in your life. And you're going to have to make a decision about laying that down for true repentance to happen. For some of you, you, you've stopped right there, and I'm glad, because my prayer is that we will hear the Spirit speak in this moment to this, because I want there to be flourishing. I want to be a, there to be a fulfillment in your life that can only come, it can only come to you when you relinquish control of your life, when you lay down the idols in your life. And number three is this. True repentance happens when you look only to Jesus. When you look to Jesus. Now, most of you realize this. In case you don't, our Bible that we have, our English version of the Bible was not written in English originally. (laughs) The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. And in Hebrew and Greek, there are no chapters and verses. Chapters and verses came into being somewhere around the 1200s. Why did they put it in there? So that we could find and mark areas, and it made it easier for study. But originally, those were not there. So how we're reading this, cha- this book right now uh, is, a, is a little off in the original language. Not the wording necessarily, but the breakup. Because I want you to see this. If you got your Bibles, I want you to be looking at this as we talk about it. Chapter 1, the last verse of chapter 1, all right? The last verse of chapter 1 really goes as the very first verse of chapter 2 in reading and context. 
So what that means, if we uh, end here, we're breaking the line of thought when you stop with the last verse of chapter 1, and then we pick up with chapter 2 a week or two later. You see, for us to really catch the understanding here, verse 17 of chapter 1 and verse 10 of chapter 2, they form bookends to Jonah's prayer. That's what's happening here for us to be able to understand because the point of this is that all of what's happening here is to get our attention and our flow that Jesus is the high point of this entire thing, that God himself is the one who is orchestrating all of this. If you've got, I want you to look at chapter one and chapter two really quick. These are not going to be on the screen. You're going to probably want to write them down. I want you to see them a little bit later. We have to see that everything in Jonah's life is by the hand of the Lord. Chapter one, verse four. The Lord brought the storm. Chapter 1, verse 17, the Lord summoned the fish to preserve his life. Chapter 2, verse 2, the Lord brought conviction. Chapter 2, verse 6, the Lord will bring salvation. So that at the very end in chapter, in verse 9, what is it that Jonah declares from the belly? He says this, salvation belongs to the Lord. Uh, folks, listen. If you want true repentance, wherever you are today, stop and look to Jesus. Look to him. Now, how do I knock this idol off of my life? Look to Jesus. How do I stop running? Look to Jesus. How do I make my relationship right with my spouse? Look to Jesus. How in the world am I going to tell my friend about Christ? Listen, I've been running the opposite direction, just like the prophet. What do I need to do? Stop and look to Jesus. Everything, and I know this is going to sound like an oversimplification. I know this. But your situation today, if you will stop and look to Jesus, you're going, yep, that's an oversimplification. But I need you to hear me. It's not that hard. It's not that complex. When you stop where you are, you turn to Jesus, you look to him because we don't know what to do. We don't understand how to get out of this situation. I don't even know how I got here. Jesus, I, got to sh I need you to show me the way home. Do you know what he's promised us? Because our father is in relentless pursuit of us. He's going to answer that prayer. True repentance is stopping to look to Jesus. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Today, you've got a huge decision to make. Look to Jesus. You don't know where to go? Look to Jesus. That's not the only thing going on in this prayer. There's some more that I want you to see real quick in looking to Jesus. Jonah is really the forerunner of the prodigal son in the New Testament. Just like the prodigal woke up in the pigsty, Jonah wakes up in the belly of the well. And this whole prayer of his is laced with the Psalms. The entire prayer is laced Illusion, illusion, actual words back to the Psalms. Write these down for me. Psalm 18, 
It's found in this prayer. Psalm 40 is found in this prayer. Psalm 42 is found in this prayer. Psalm 139 is found in this prayer. Rather than laying in the putrid acid of his sin, he began to recall the word of the Lord. He began to look to God where you are today as the Lord begins to call back to your mind, to your memory, those of you who are followers of his. His word, that is to call us, me, you, back to Jesus. You see, how does the word of the Lord come to us? It comes by all that's been stored up. Those of you who are new to here today and you've never met Jesus, you know how the word of the Lord comes to you today? Through the teaching of the word today. He, his word changes everything because his word is true. His word is right. His word is faithful. His word is trustworthy. So true repentance is looking to the Lord Repentance is losing our life, laying down your idols. It's turning to Jesus in hope of salvation. And he closes with verse 10, and he says this, and the Lord spoke to the fish. He called the fish, and the fish responded. Notice what he does when he calls the fish again. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Folks, I don't know about you, but that word is, I, I can't say the word without getting a little gag in my throat. I can smell it right now. I have to stop talking about it because I'll get. That word's intentional. That word is intentional. He vomited him out onto the, onto the shore. The word of the Lord came to him. He called out. The Lord heard. The Lord answered his prayer. Where you are today, the Lord will answer that prayer. When you look to Jesus, he answers that prayer. Now, I need to say this to you because some of you, where you are today, you think about it. Jonah's been in the belly of the well for three days. The great fish, excuse me. He's been, that, that old VBS keeps coming back out. He's been in the belly of the great fish. He's had gastric acids all over him, probably about 115 degrees inside there, seaweed around him. He's probably been immobilized. He's out on the, out on the beach. I mean, it, you ever had somebody vomit on you? It's, I mean, it's not going away. He's pastier than I am. The, I mean, he, and now he still has to walk to get to where he's got to go, but the Lord answered his prayer. And some of you today, you're thinking, I'm so far away, but I, I need you to hear me. Some of you today, your repentance is going to be like riding, walking down the street on a sidewalk. The Lord's calling you, and you know what? I realize I need it, and you got to turn around, and you just go the other way. That's easy repentance. Some of you are like, you're in the car driving and all of a sudden, Waze says, turn around, turn around, make the next right. You make the next right, and maybe you're able to make one block and come back, or maybe you've got to make several blocks and come back. 
Some of you, your repentance is going to be like you're on an airplane and you're headed out one way. And then all of a sudden, when they make a turn, you, you, you know how wide they have to make. And they swing out, sometimes over states. Ships, when they have to make a turn around, course change, it takes a long time to make that change. But at some point, everyone has to realize, I have to turn around. And I need you to hear. I want to be really clear because I don't want you to think everything just goes away. Sometimes your situation that you're standing in right now, it may take a little bit of time. The repentance is immediate. When you repent, he hears that. But Jonah still had vomit on him. He had to clean up. And then he still had to get to where he had to go. Your repentance can be immediate. Just like your salvation, the Lord hears it. But it's, it may take a little bit of time to walk it out. But here's what he's calling us to today. He's calling you to look to him, to forsake the idols, to lose control of your life. And then he will answer and he will walk you out of your situation. When you look to Jesus, when you do that, he hears you. He answers you. That is a promise from the word of God. I think even this story here points us to the better Jonah. Hey, those of you who don't believe, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, your Jesus, my Jesus, was in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. And he came out of the grave and is alive today. He's alive today. Jesus compares his death and resurrection. He says, just like Jonah, he validates this story. Jesus is the better Jonah for you and me today. Just like Jonah, just like Jonah, when Jesus, when Jonah went into the belly of the well, he thought he was going to die. I need you to know Jesus did die. And his resurrection conquered death, hell, the grave, sin, to prove to you and me that he hears us and that he will answer our repentance today. What idols have to be turned over in your life? I ask you to circle verse 8. Those who chase after vain idols basically says they're rejecting steadfast love and hope. Because what we end up doing is we put our hope in those things. And I need you to know it's going to fail you. But the steadfast love of the Father never fails. Today, as we close, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I want to open up our altar. And I'm, I'm asking today, there are some of you who are far from Jesus. Uh, you say, man, I know him, but you've been running from him. Maybe today you need to come before this. You can do it in your seat, but I, I know many times just the physical act of moving Maybe you need to come and get on your face before the Father and say, I, I'm, I'm coming, I'm repenting. I'm turning from the idol that I've made this thing. For some of you in here today, maybe you, this is the day you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I want to invite you publicly. 
I'm going to stand here. I, I want to receive you. I want to pray with you. This is a room of friends. Everyone in here, I won't say everyone, most of us in here have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We know what it's like to take that first step. We, we, we are for you and with you. We're calling the Spirit to give you strength. Father, we love you and we honor you. We magnify you today. Will you do the work? Will you do the work that only you can do? And it's in the name of Jesus I ask these things. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, would you stand right now? I'm going to give you room. If you need to move, I'll be down front here. You can keep your head bowed and eyes closed and you do.